Hey there, welcome into Great Quarter Guys, episode 90 of the show where the lines between freight, finance, and tech are none. I'm your host, Andrew Cox, senior retail analyst here at FreightWaves, alongside lead economist Anthony Smith once again this afternoon. It's Tuesday. We're here live on FreightWaves TV and FreightWaves LinkedIn, YouTube, all the other places that we stream from. So if you're joining us live, thanks so much for joining us. If you're listening on demand, make sure to subscribe to, point, to, subscribe to Great Quarter Guys if you like what you heard today, or subscribe to FreightCast where you can get all of our uh, beautiful feeds here right on one tidy place. We've got, a, we've got a fun show. We've got a guest coming up. His name is Adam Kahn. He's the president of the commercial fleet team at Netrodyne, which is a really neat company. They do driver coaching as well as a, a software platform that helps gamify driver safety. So we're going to talk to him about the issues that have plagued this industry for many years. That is, of course, driver turnover, driver retention, and how driver coaching and how you know, gamifying the system might have some strong benefits to keeping drivers entertained and keeping them in their seats. Um, I want to take a moment to thank my sponsor, DDC. This, this episode is brought to you by DDC FPO. DDC is a business process outsourcing provider that specializes in freight. Discover why today's top-rated LTL carriers rely on DDC FPO. Learn more at ddcfpo.com. Again, that's ddcfpo.com. So Anthony, the title of today's episode is Throwing Away Inventory in This Economy. Because as we've talked about over the last, I don't know, maybe year or so, we've dealt with generally strong demand, oftentimes buoyed by the government stimulus that we've got. But We've had generally strong demand and really tight inventories across the board in most retail categories and most categories everywhere. Um, but we're going to talk about a story here in a bit after our guest, where we have one company that is throwing away more than $100 million worth of inventory. And we'll explain why it has something to do with hard seltzers. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into our You Care or Nah segment. Uh, before we bring on Mr. Khan, we are going to do our chart of the day. I've got one for you today. It is from Sonar. It is our inbound Ocean TEU volume index. We have in blue, I have uh, from Vietnam to the US. And then in orange, I have from uh, all other countries, actually all, all countries in general, to the US. And the point here I wanted to make was you are really seeing the impact of uh, the, the Delta variant in Vietnam hitting their ports, hitting uh, the, the imports coming to the US. So while we have seen kind of an uptick here in the last several weeks, during the month of September and into October in overall TEU volumes. From Vietnam, who is, I think, our third or fourth leading uh, exporter to the U.S., it has plummeted uh, back down to a level we haven't seen since April of this year, so or April of last year, rather. So I just wanted to make a point here that, you know, that we are sat- starting to see Vietnam catch back on. That is one of the things we spoke about on in uh, Freightways Now this morning. Me and Kaylee on the point-of-sale segment was we're talking about Crocs and how their supply chain has actually been pretty resilient to this because they've been able to shift away from Vietnam to Bosnia and India and some other places. But the good thing is, is Vietnam is actually coming back on board. So they had their call on Wednesday or Thursday of last week, their Q3 earnings call, and said that Vietnam is back to about 70% of the speed that it was um, during normal times. So that is a really good sign. I think they're, they're kind of over the hump of the Delta variant. And I think that's the, it kind of brings us back to reality of the rest of the world because it's like, yeah, we have recovered. We've made our way out of the Delta variant. Um, I think, I don't know if there's a plus or some other variant coming around the corner, but we've recovered a lot quicker than a lot of other places in the, uh, throughout the world. So I think this is kind of a reminder that not everyone is at where we are right now. Yeah, not only from like a Delta variant standpoint, but no other government in the world gave as much fiscal stimulus as yeah. the U.S. government did either. There's a reason that our consumer has been in such a good position uh, for the last for the last you know 18 months, really. All right, let's do our top stories. We got a congestion check, as I have been doing uh, the last several weeks looking at the Marine Exchange in the port of LA and Long Beach. 
The report as of yesterday, 164 total ships in port. That's 107 at anchor and 57 at berth. Of the 146, or 164 rather, 102 are container ships. I believe that might be a new record. And we have 73 at anchor. So we had seen um, in October, we had started to see that number kind of, in September rather, we'd seen that number dwindle down. Uh, but for the last three weeks, we've had rising number of ships on our weekly check here on Tuesday. So uh, we're, like we said last week, they're trying to run 24-7, but you still have not enough trucks coming in. You still have the rails are abysmal right now, especially intermodal. So as much as you want to bring in more stuff, it's still really difficult to do so. Here's one thing that, here's another top story for you that may uh, may help. I don't know if it's going to help. I can kind of get your opinion on this. But as they attempt to clear cargo, the port of Los Angeles and, and Long Beach will now begin charging the ocean carriers for demerge. They'll be charging them a $100 daily fee for each container that dwells at the terminal longer than the allotted time. So ocean carriers will have to pay ports fees for each container that dwells longer than nine days if that, port, if that uh, container is going to be moving by truck or by three days if it's going to be moving by rail. And the fee will rise by $100 each additional day that the box stays at the terminal. Uh, so the uh, port, of, port of Long Beach Executive Director Mario Cordero said that this new policy is a way to prompt the rapid removal of containers from marine terminals. Pretty simple, right? The terminals yeah. are running out of space, and this will make room for containers sitting on those ships at anchor. Um, shippers have long had to pay to demerge. This isn't a new thing. This is something that they were fighting a lot about back uh, in the worst days of the congestion, saying that, hey, we can't even get in there and get our, our containers because there's you know a 40... 40 long uh, truck line or there's you know, too many rails, we can't get it in there. So they were upset about having to pay to merge. Now the ocean carriers will probably be having similar complaints uh, in the next coming weeks. Yeah, and it, it incentivizes. I mean, money is always the incentive. And yep. so that's going to be the main motivator, I think, that's going to help push things along. So we're going to see, of course, with the 24-hour thing that happened in the previous story, um, that's just only going to put stress and pressure on other parts of the supply chain. Yep. So looking at this, this is going to put pressure on somebody else. So uh, those those carriers are really going to be like, all right, well, we can't carry this. We're going to pass that cost on to someone else. And so that pa- that cost is going to get passed on. That pressure is going to get passed on. But somewhere along the line, there is going to be someone that's going to be, you know, really feeling the pressure. And I think this is a really good, uh, I think, uh, uh, mechanism for that. Yeah. I mean, basic economist here. Yeah. Charge them. <laughs> you, want to, you want to incentivize somebody to not do something, you charge them for it. Exactly. That's a uh, pretty simple economics, pretty simple equation here. We'll see if it works out. All right. We have our guest with us, Mr. Adam Kahn, the president of the commercial fleet team at Netrodyne. Adam, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, I'm uh, just finishing up with uh, one of the industry trade shows. So I just spent uh, three or four days with many of our peers in the industry. And as always, uh, you know, it's great to connect with people, shaking hands and seeing people face to face. So thank you so much for having me on the uh, on the session today. Yeah, absolutely. Adam, I'm glad you were able to get out and about again. I know it's been, you know, especially for those that traveled a lot prior to the pandemic, that's been something that they missed a lot. Uh, I think they enjoyed the time of not traveling for a bit, but now uh, getting back to it or enjoying it a lot. So we've spoken to a number of carriers who are looking to seriously upgrade their driver training and their driver coaching programs. What are the factors or the environmental factors that are leaving to this change? Yeah, so what, one of the things that we really focus on, and uh, it's not new research, but it's, I think the, uh, the, the, the approach um, differs from how safety systems might have been uh, focusing on years past, is one of the things that I, we really advocate for is rewarding the performance you want versus punishing the behavior you don't want. And I think, you know, as we get into, there's so many environmental factors with plaintiff attorneys going after fleets and um, you know, really 
working hard to retain drivers in your organization, I think that there's uh, just a material shift in um, leaning into the positive, you know, the carrot versus the stick in terms of working with your, with your most valuable resources, your drivers. So Adam, you spoke about uh, lawyers and groups going after some of these fleets. This is, of course, nuclear verdicts. It's been a huge topic over the last you know, several years, even a couple decades now. Let's go a little bit deeper on the nuclear verdicts. Uh, if anybody in the audience hasn't heard of this reptile theory, kind of one of the main theories behind nuclear verdicts, what is it and how is it being used against carriers in court? Well, the best way I can describe it to fleets is we're not really fighting the same fight. Um, so I think I saw some data recently that said 75% of the accidents on the road are not um, attributed to the commercial fleet, but the commercial fleet is not winning 75% of the uh, lawsuits. Um, and in, in that space, you know, the, the, the whole premise of a reptile theory or the plane of a who's going after that nuclear verdict, they're going after your safety culture and not the accident. So fleets are very, very proficient in understanding what happened and deconstructing and reconstructing an event that happened, but that's not what people are being sued on. What people are being uh, uh, litigated against is that you have an inadequate safety culture. You're not talking to your drivers enough. You're allowing drivers who haven't been trained to be on the vehicles. And, and that's what's really causing the, you know, the larger verdicts is not the accident, but the, the culture that supports it. So Adam, one of the things you just mentioned there is the culture that really supports it. And I can only imagine that a lot of carriers want to take their driver coaching programs up to the next level. In your perspective, what are some of the things that they can really kind of really take into consideration? What are some of the key factors that they can really start to implement in order to do something like that? Yeah, so I think this is where technology starts to step in. And it's, you know, it's a wonderful place, you know, technology and fleets partnering for good. Um, and if you th if you think about what the new ask might be, the new ask to defeat or neutralize a negligent claim is to talk with your drivers once a week. Um, this is then you know there's a problem statement in there that if you physically relied on getting a driver into your office and talking to them for 30 minutes, one safety manager can actually talk to 80 drivers in one week. The likelihood of getting of perfecting that scheduling is very low, so you either need to to now have that conversation once a week, either you need to add to your team where you're adding five, six additional resources to, to do that coaching. But this is where I think technology starts to come into play, where um, information is processed at the vehicle level versus being sent to an operations center and delivered to you a couple of days later. If I can have the information analyzed at the vehicle, I can now start having digital conversations with a driver where it might be as simple as, you know, I've created awareness about a driver using their cell phone, but technology can now step in and, and ask the driver to put down the cell phone, slow down, um, stop at a stop sign, create distance. You know, all those things are really important in terms of small conversations uh, eliminate bigger problems later on. And, and so the new strategy of talking to your drivers once a week is maybe problematic if you do, if you rely only on face-to-face -face coaching. But I really think there's this wonderful partnership that's emerging between technology and the fleets where there's physical conversations and there's digital conversations and they all count because they all relay a message to the driver on you're either doing a great job or you need a little bit of help or a little bit of guidance. And quite frankly, the in-cab notification sent to the driver is delivered with a lot less friction than a face-to-face -face coaching. So 
there might be opportunities where that coaching, you know, the small little corrections are actually received much more positive from the driver uh, because they can continue doing their job. They get a little bit of adjustment. They can self-coach. And now, you know, you really have an engaged team that's trying to offset those negligent claims. Adam, I can't help but think, um, you know, is this stuff, is this a technology affordable? Many carriers, are, you know, operate on thin margins. I'd be willing to say maybe even the vast majority operate on very thin margins. And we kind of discussed briefly there that they don't have the capacity or the the, the, the money to go out and hire five or six additional um, additional safety trainers. But is this technology affordable to a small trucking fleet that doesn't have the money to go out and hire additional training staff? Yeah, so I, I would tell you that the generally a system, the cost the cost basis is about a dollar per truck per day. You know, so it's relatively, it's a lot less than a gallon of fuel. Um, it's probably a lot less you're, that you're paying for insurance. It's a lot less than you're probably paying for coffee. Um, yeah. So if you can make a small investment where, you know, it's it's pretty nominal in terms of being able to put some technology. We've seen fleets have payback within a quarter or two. Um, and that's really where you start getting visibility to where you really know what happened. And sometimes when you don't know what happened, you have to pay for the claim. But often, a lot of times when you know what happened, you know, you don't have to pay for every claim. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, where you think of dollar, dollar twenty-five, you know, a day type thing for your, your vehicle. And what you get for that is you know, an automated coaching perspective, you know, the ability to uh, have a dialogue with your drivers, either face-to-face or while they're in the cab. Um, and, and the payout or the, you know, the pivot comparison would be, you know, if you don't, you know, the cost of doing nothing is waiting for that nuclear verdict might, you know, unfortunately put you out of business. So Adam, one of the things Andrew and I were talking about, just from a general economic standpoint, was the theory around incentives. And so, one of the things that's interesting here is that most coaching programs take a, uh, a punishing aspect on bad driving and, and things like that. But your approach is more positive feedback and recognition. Why is this the approach and what results are you seeing with this? You know, I was asked by one of our investors um, uh, during a, a due diligence round. And the question came up and said, why do you think that your approach uh, is any different than anyone else in the industry? And why do you think it will work? And, um, you know, I really drew from a personal story. Uh, my father worked for Ford Heavy Truck, and I was uh, really fortunate to grow up in the, in the uh, trucking industry. And in that space, uh, you know, I looked at magazines from, you know, trade journals from you know, the early uh, 1980s. The number one issue was driver shortage, and mm. the second issue was uh, fatalities per million miles. You know, if I fast forward 40, 40 years later, um, you know, that's those remain the same things that are in the headlines, you know, fatalities and, you know, driver shortage. So I what I had suggested to our investor was, you know, maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's a case for inverting the conversation. You know, we have many of our customers that they will not have a conversation with a driver unless they start with a positive. Here's the number of minutes that, you know, we know that you were compliant. Here's a, a couple driving maneuvers where you took safety into your own hands. Um, you know, great job. Hey, we really support you. Now we want to work on these other elements to coach you on. And so you could be the best driver you want to be. So we've seen a really um, a tremendous, I'll call it an invert of the results where drivers are actually very curious about how they can be recognized for good driving. Um, you know, they're very eager to uh, have praise because it's not, it's not an interactive job. 
It's not a job where somebody comes into the office and we sit around the water cooler every day and talk about what's happening in the office. You know, there is some isolation. And, and when you do, when you're working hard and you get the opportunity to get praise, I think it's very motivating. And if you can get drivers that are engaged, um, then you, you'll, you'll always have better results than drivers that are you know, pushing back against the program. Yeah, Adam, you're, you're totally right uh, about just the, the longstanding issue of driver retention, driver shortage in this industry. I saw our CEO, Craig Fuller, posted a, I think it was from 1944, uh, from a, some kind of trade journal where they were talking about driver shortage as far back as 1944. So this was, or actually it was 1954. So it was, it was after the war, people had come back and they were still talking about uh, having a driver shortage. Let's, let's talk about the mechanism that you're using here to incentivize and to promote good, uh, good driving. And that's just gamification. It's a hot topic for many carriers. What have you seen from your customers? What results have they seen with gamifying driver safety? And what are the key considerations a carrier should consider when rolling out a, game, a gamification program? Yeah, the good news is these types of programs won't cost you a lot of money. Um, uh, so from a psychology standpoint, Envy is a great tool. And when I say, when I talk about Envy, you know, if you have 100 drivers and you line them up and you have them in a safety meeting or a driver meeting and you bring up two or three to the front of the room and you show a, a good driving video um, and maybe you award those drivers a special patch or a hat that no one else has or a hoodie or a jacket or a Yeti cooler or some, you know, some, some dollar amount that, you know, is not going to break the bank. I guarantee the other 97 drivers in that audience are going to go, wait a minute. I'm a better driver than that guy. I want to be like that guy. I want to learn from that person because I want to be on stage next time. It, it has a direct, almost opposite effect if you went to those safety meetings and said, well, these three employees, they're not fired because they're the bottom of the rung. You know, now everyone else is just trying to not, you know, not be the bottom. There's no incentive to be the top. So I, I do think Envy is a huge tool um, about being able to, um, you know, have other drivers want to assimilate with the good drivers in the fleet versus not being isolated and being, you know, labeled as the, the worst driver in the fleet. Adam, I like that line a lot. Envy is a hell of a tool. And we're running up on time here, Adam, but thanks so much for your time and insights today. Where should we send anybody that wants to learn more about Netrodyne or reach out for your services? Yeah, great, great uh, question. Just uh, visit our, our website, www.netrodyne.com. Uh, there's loads of information there. There's case studies. There's information from our customers. Um, and if you, you know, have an interest to chat with us, there's forms that you can fill out and our team can get in touch with you. And we'd love to have a conversation with you, you know, whether or not it's time for you, you know, there's a purchase activity in your future, or you just have questions about the technology, you know, feel free to reach out to us where, you know, we really serve as a resource to the industry. And, you know, when we get an opportunity to work with customers, you know, it just, you know, makes it even better uh, when we see great results. So. Thank you so much for having me on the uh, on the session today. I really appreciate the time and the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah, thank you so much. Certainly a resource for us today. Learned a lot. All right, so we've got a couple of you cares and all coming up on time. We've got about five minutes here. And there's some interesting ones, so I wanted to get your opinion on them. Uh, I don't know if you've seen. This is something that I have noticed for a long time, and I just thought it was, you know, part of it. This is what you do if you are a hype beast and you buy easy stuff is you have to wait. Oftentimes, yeah. literally like six to eight months like, they don't even produce it until after they've already sold out of everything. Well, they're getting in trouble for that. They're being sued. Uh, Yeezy line, of course, Kanye West fashion line, is being sued because it isn't shipping its stuff fast enough. So I want to just give you a little more info here. Um, this is according to a lawsuit filed 
by the California by the state of California against West Fashion Business on October 22nd in the Los Angeles County Superior Court. This lawsuit alleges that Yeezy Apparel and Yeezy Companies violated a section of the state business code that requires items sold over the internet to be shipped within 30 days. And if they are not, the merchant must provide a refund or pursue some other remedy. But they're not doing that. Uh, they are just selling stuff and it is being delivered six, eight, sometimes even 10 months later. And there's a suit being brought against them for it. Um, not so much do you care or not, but do you think this will change Yeezy and Kanye West? No. <laughs> you can't even get a Kanye West on the album drop. I don't expect you to get yeah. your shoes on the day that, I mean, within a month that you ordered it. I mean, we were waiting for his last album for, I think, a few months until it actually released. So, no. And, and I think it's almost going to be one of those situations where, you know, you see... Tesla moving from California to Texas. And if it is becoming a thing, mm. I wouldn't be too surprised if we see more companies that are being targeted like this are being really uh, hit with these ramifications. Just say, you know what? I'm going to move operations elsewhere just because it's not worth it. Yeah, I mean, one thing, this is kind of a side note, but it plays onto that theme is remote work. I mean, yeah. if you don't have to be in Silicon Valley, you don't, I mean, people don't like living in Silicon Valley. Yeah. I mean, it's, the house has cost a million dollars for a box. So it's, there are other places to be, and people moved to Miami. They moved elsewhere. They moved to Chattanooga. I mean, we had like... And that's well, that's not hyperbole. It does cost a million dollars. So <laughs> yeah, no I mean, we're not kidding. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't really care about that one either. I don't think it's going to change Kanye. I just thought it was really funny because all of their people are like, yeah, I bought my hoodie. I guess it'll be here next year. Yeah. And, and maybe they'll have to speed up here. We'll, we'll see. Uh, here's, here's, the, here's the headline story of the day when we were speaking about who is actually throwing away inventory in this economy. Because we have good, we have strong consumer demand, and we have really low inventories uh, across the board. They've they've grown a lot this year, but they're still, from a sales perspective, really low compared to historical numbers. But Boston Beer says they tossed millions of cases. So those are cases of 24 or of 12. I'm not exactly sure, but we're looking at tens of millions of cans of truly hard seltzer instead of discounting it. The chairman said on their Q3 earnings call on, I think it was last Thursday. Basically, what he said was, uh, we. At Boston Beer, we provide uh, or we pride our fresh and tasty stuff. And they thought that if they had put it out on there, it might get stale. And if they had to discount it, um, they thought that there just might be some bad consumer experiences with stale truly. So they decided to crush literally 10 million cans of it. What do you think? You care or not? Yeah, that's nuts. Um, <laughs> that's nuts. I mean, I get it because you do want a good product. You do want a good experience when you have that consumption and you're like, oh, this is awful. I'm never doing this again. Then three months later, you try it again and it's still a bad batch. So you don't want that experience. But if you know that this is an issue, for sure, you got to go the discount route to make sure you're getting rid of that inventory because this isn't good press at all. That's not a good thing that you want out there. It's almost like those some of those luxury brands that, you know, instead of mm. putting out their merchandise, it's like, you know, we have to destroy this and we have to uphold our brand's value. And so I think this probably isn't the, the route that they're going to take in the future if they keep the brand alive. Yeah, I mean, that one, it kind of makes more sense. Like, there's a reason that Ferrari doesn't make a $50,000 car. Yeah. And they, yeah, could they sell more of them? Definitely. But there's a reason they don't. They have a brand to uphold. Truly is not a brand that I think of when I think of, like, high-end. And, I mean, this is... The, the company did okay. They beat analyst expectations on revenue. They brought in $561 million for the quarter. But they brought their their EPS was negative $4.76. It was $130 million um, involved in this in this kind of debacle here. 100 yeah. million in lost uh, in lost inventory and then 30 million in logistics costs to get rid of it. All right, so the last story, we don't have time for it, but the last story is Amazon has launched another omni-channel service for local delivery and uh, pickup option at stores. So basically, 
companies, big and small, can sign up for this. And Amazon, you can go onto Amazon and say you were buying a TV. And rather than having it delivered to you uh, by Amazon, you can now look up, oh, there's a Best Buy in my area. I can pick it up from Best Buy. We've come full circle. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's amazing. All right, Amazon is, is taking over as always. All right, we'll see you again next week. Go Braves.